Broadcasting from everywhere and nowhere, the Misfit Crew at Southfleet HQ is proud to bring you the Dive Living Podcast. This week, we are sitting down once again with Brooke West, the softly registered dietitian nutritionist, to talk about kitchens and all of the gadgets or lack thereof that you need to successfully cook and meal prep, uh, specifically with respect to the softly nutrition program. Uh, you know, we get a lot of questions on the feed in the app and also via email and social media about, you know, what are the things that I need to have in the kitchen to be able to kind of like execute this program. Um, and it seems like we're getting enough of those questions that we thought, hey, this is something we should probably talk about. Um, so Makes sense. We'll kick it off. And Brooke, you know, can you give us the – the definitive minimal list of you know what I should have in the kitchen to uh, to prep and cook. Yeah, so you honestly don't need as much as you think, but your life would be a lot easier if you had the fancy ones. We can get into later of our favorites, but really the important thing is a good knife, cutting board, um, a Vitamix blender. I mean, that was that's a really nice thing to have, <laughs> but. Um, and we do use a blender a lot, but you don't need a fancy, fancy one unless you want one. Um, but then basic skillets and pans, I would recommend at least having two of each because sometimes you got a couple of things going at a time. And then a baking dish um, and baking sheet. So it's really, you really don't need that much. Um, the one thing that we um, use that has honestly changed my life is a Dutch oven. That thing is awesome. And some of the recipes do use that, but we like to offer options too. So you don't need a Dutch oven. You could also use a crock pot. Um, Can you tell us what the difference is between a Dutch oven and a crock pot? So a crock pot, you plug into the wall. So it's like an electric thing that slow cooks all day. So you don't have to leave your oven on. So it kind of depends on your preference. But then the Dutch oven is actually what you physically put into the oven and it has a lid. So it you can do that um, moist cooking process in the oven. And you can get a sweet Dutch oven from Walmart for like 15 bucks or something like that. Yeah. Like you don't have to go all out crazy on like the La Crescette. <clears throat> it is beautiful. But if you don't want to spend a ton of money, you really don't have to. Yeah. The Lodge, the Lodge cast iron. Lodge stuff's great. Or- I love it. I mean, you can go to like a Ace Hardware store. Yeah. You know, really? Um, yeah, and get awesome cast iron stuff. And some of it, I think, even comes now pre-seasoned. But seasoning is really easy as well. All of the Lodge stuff comes pre-seasoned. But, yeah, I've, I've actually gotten quite a bit of cast iron at uh, antique stores and like yeah, estates, estate sales. And the That's old cool. stuff is made a little bit differently it's more machined whereas the new stuff is sand cast and it has that kind of texture on it mm-hmm. but the old stuff is smooth especially on the face that you're cooking on there so was a, like it's uh, a little bit higher quality a really popular kickstarter for a cast iron pan called finex hmm. and it is machined it also has this really cool uh like spiral coil handle 
Huh. So, I mean. It stays cooler. Depends allegedly. on how long, how long you're cooking with it. You know, obviously, if you put it in the oven, that kind of like scraps everything. But, yeah, we got one. I think it's awesome. It definitely stays cooler. You know, most of the time I can pick it up. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it's it's way smoother of a cooking surface than the sand cast cast iron stuff. Um, and and kind of similar to regular cast iron, you know, every once in a while we just like coat it with some cooking oil and throw it in the oven at you know really low temperature and let it bake for thirty minutes and it's good to go. Yep. Um, that's the other thing too. I feel like and this is kind of getting off the the kitchen gadget theme, but yeah. we're always going down these rabbit holes. Um, is that we had a, a friend staying at the house for a while, um, not not too long ago, and this person ended up burning like three of our pans. Um, past define burn. Like, what does that mean? Like so they left it on the on the stove, like on high. No, just cooking with it, but without any type of like fat in the pan, or without enough fat in the pan. Yeah. To the point where after it was done, like the pans would even with food in it be smoking, or afterwards would just be, you know, so charred or food like so stuck to them and and burned that. You know, there was basically they, they became unrecoverable. Um, you know, we at our house we basically have some cast iron stuff and then some stainless steel stuff. I'm like not a fan of no stick or Teflon type mm-hmm. things. Yes, um, I think most of them are like pretty crappy quality. And if you look, like ultimately all of them, you know, end up kind of like coming apart. And you see these like Teflon bits, you know, in your eggs or whatever. Um, but uh, in any event, you know, the the stainless steel stuff and the cast iron stuff that we have, I mean, I feel like people are so concerned about not eating too much fat mm-hmm. that they're constantly under-seasoning the pans um, or not putting enough, you know, like oil or fat into the pan. And, you know, even with, with my wife, like when she cooks eggs in our stainless steel, uh, you know, pans afterwards... They're always like soaking with water to get like all of this like egg stuff off of it. Well, and like part yeah. of that's cooking technique, but the other part is well, that heat management is a huge issue. For yeah, sure. But the other part is that you know if if there was enough butter or whatever you're putting in the yeah. pan, like the eggs would just slide out at the end, and you mm-hmm. would be able to well, basically people, like wipe it out. I found like gro- like I've got into cooking very seriously probably about five or six years ago. And I, it's not like I didn't know how to cook. I was an Eagle Scout growing up, and we would, I would cook with my mom, and we'd cook on camping trips and stuff like that. But everything my, like, for my parents' generation, Teflon coated nonstick pans were like a miracle. Yep. So this is like we used to have to use these crap pans, and now we can use these Teflon pans, and like all of our worries are gone away. And no one thought like, like Teflon pans, like you can't use them with high heat. Because the Teflon will delaminate, you can't shock them. I can't deglaze a Teflon pan, and the fond in the bottom of a stainless steel or cast iron pan is like half the badass part of it. Um, Can you tell us what a fond is? Fond. That's like all the burnt on goodies on the bottom. (laughs) So, like, yeah, like uh, um, we could go off on a billion tangents about fond, but um, (laughs) I'm fond of fond. Um, But yeah, so people like. People grow up using stainless or nonstick Teflon, especially really shitty nonstick Teflon that's very thin, that warps, and they're so they're they have these hot spots in their pan because they're using it on an electric cooktop and it doesn't sit flat and all this sort of stuff. And then when you hand them an all clad pan, 
you're like, hey, cook a thing in this. Not even eggs, which I think eggs are the most difficult thing to cook on a stovetop as far as heat management and fat management is concerned. But even just like, hey, will you saute me an onion? I've chopped up an onion, sauteed in this thing. And they use like one-tenth of the amount of fat that's necessary to do that because they're used to doing everything in a nonstick pan. They don't realize that like the fat is the the release agent for that. It also is a flavoring agent, you know, like, yep. like sauteed onions in a nonstick pan with this a little, like a, like a spot of olive oil tastes like shit. It's <laughs> not good. <laughs> you know, you, you, you do it in, in a, in a, at the proper temperature that you can do in a stainless steel pan or a cast iron pan and uh, with the proper technique and everything is just like, I mean, my eyes were opened. Like I, we I got this set of like really high end pans from my, my wedding actually and uh it's like oh crap like i realized that i was everybody else uses these things and has used them for centuries to good effect and yet i'm fucking it up right in the kitchen <laughs> so the problem has to be me right so i started like getting into like videos and like watching people and techniques and stuff and i realized very early on my my apprehension with using the proper amount of fat in the pan was like my biggest hurdle I had to cross. Yeah. I feel bit. the same way about salt as well. Like I feel like, you know, salting dishes, like that's one of the big hurdles that people have to do when they're cooking in the house is like, Ooh, just a pinch of like iodized salt. And you're like, all right. Well, <laughs> it's a different topic entirely, but yeah. But I think at the end of the day, I mean, with like a $15 cast iron pan, you, if you only had one pan, Oh you, yeah. You could use that, right? Dude, if For I only had one yeah. thing, I would have Dutch oven. Oh, cast iron Dutch oven because you can use it to saute on your ta- on your top. You can use it to braise stuff. You can use it to bake bread in. I mean, right. you can literally use, and that's like with the Boy Scouts, I learned how to cook on a lodge Dutch oven because you could take it in the woods, throw it in the fire, and literally make bacon and eggs in the morning. Save some of the save some of the fat. Make biscuits with it the next day in the in thing you could roast a chicken in it i mean you could do everything you want to do with one cast iron dutch oven it's freaking amazing nature's crockpot man oh, absolutely um all right so moving on from from pots and pans <laughs> um i know this is going to be probably another topic that gets like way down the rabbit hole but knives you know do i like do i buy the whole set of knives do i really just need one or two knives if i do what are the knives that i need See, most of this I actually learned from Brian, and I'm doing it all wrong, apparently. But the key is that they're sharp, and he can just all this knowledge. But it was funny because he came over to do filming for B-roll stuff, and he's like, he's like, you just have your knives rattling around in a drawer? And I was like, yeah. Like, this is their place where I put them? Apparently, that is a big no-no, too. That is a big no-no. The big vein in my forehead. Yeah, Yeah, like a lot. I feel like a lot of people don't really... Certainly, most people don't take cutlery seriously, and they people view knives this day and age almost as a disposable commodity. They'll buy these, I don't know what you call them, like these micro serrated knives, these kind of like never need to sharpen knives that you buy that every company has started to make that are stamped. And you cannot sharpen them because they have these like little micro serrations in them. It's the sort of thing you'd find in like a rental property, right? You go like <laughs> do an Airbnb and there's like. Listen to you on your high horse. <laughs> yeah. yeah the true. sort of thing you'd find in a rental property. Well, I mean like like you go to like those one of those uh, extended stay things. I used to go to those all the time in the military and they'd have this like one little knife block and these like cooking things so you can cook in this kitchenette. Right. It's like this. No, just like how can we outfit this kitchen as cheaply as exactly, possible, right? Exactly. And um, 
So, but they, but people have these in their house and, um, they wonder why, like they can't prep things quickly because they don't, and most people don't understand which knives to use for what as well, which I think is a big thing. Um, what's the figure, one knife that you said, was it a chef's knife? Yeah. Chef's, I think an eight inch chef's knife is the most versatile knife. Most people don't, I keep saying most people, like a lot of people I've cooked with, you know, my, my mother is a great example. She uses a paring knife for everything. You know, if she has to cut a steak open, she's going to use a paring knife. And it's because the size of a full-size chef's knife intimidates her. It's like, why would I get out this huge knife if this little knife does the job? And she feels more comfortable with the little knife because it feels more delicate in her hand, so it doesn't feel as dangerous, whereas, like, she grew up with the movie Psycho with like a, <laughs> like an eight inch Wustov knife is like the that, literally that was like a, the, the weapon you know that's funny so um, but chef's knives because of the height of the blade are so much safer because you can use your your non knife hand as a as a guide for that knife um, where it's really difficult to do that with a paring knife but yeah if you one you can pretty much do everything with an eight inch chef knife as a matter of fact I don't think I use any other knives in my kitchen except for a boning knife where I don't want my chef knife to like get dinged up because I'm trying to debone a chicken or something like that. All right. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> so <clears throat> if you were going to like, if you're going to go to the store and buy a knife, you know, what are you looking for? What do, what do you think is a, a reasonable budget to spend for something that you can you can keep, you can resharpen, um, but doesn't have to be something super fancy, right? Yeah. And what are you going to do to resharpen that knife? You know, are you taking it to a place to resharpen it? Are you buying some kind of like drag-through sharpener? Are you buying stones? And if you are buying stones, you know, what are you doing for that? So I think there's fantastic knives at just about every price point. I think to get into a decent chef knife, the basically the, the minimum amount you could spend is $50. I personally think the stuff that Victorinox makes, their Fibrox models, are fantastic. And they're like, you can get them on Amazon for 40 bucks, 50 bucks, something like that. I haven't looked it up recently. But it's really good steel, um, fairly high carbon steel, but, they're, but it's stainless quality. It's not going to uh, uh, rust on you but the handle's ergonomic and it's easy to hold and all that sort of stuff. Uh, going up the chain, I mean, obviously, you can go all the way up the ladder as far as chef's knives are concerned. I personally have some Kai Shun knives that I really like because they have more of a Japanese profile, so it's a little bit thinner blade. The problem is that they tend to be a little bit prone to chipping, so you have to be very, very careful with them because they're delicate. As far as sharpening is concerned, that's definitely the most overlooked thing as far as knife maintenance is concerned, I, for most people that don't want to learn how to sharpen knives properly, using a professional sharpening service once a year is an extremely good idea. There's a lot of good, I mean, there's a place in University Mall here in Chapel Hill that'll do it for three bucks a knife and they do a really good job. And like that should be part of people's maintenance cycles for their, for their kitchen, similar to you changing the oil in your car or whatever. If that's not something that you're going to ever be comfortable with, However, in between sharpenings, you should learn how to hone your knife properly using either a chef's steel or a ceramic honing rod. I prefer ceramic just because I think they're a little bit easier to use, the shape of them. But you, there's a million videos on, on Google about the difference between honing and sharpening. But essentially, as you use a knife, just 
over the course of a meal prep, the edge of it, the very sharp leading edge has a tendency from roll to roll from side to side. And so if you use one of these steels or a ceramic honing rod, you can true that edge back up to center and it brings the sharpness of your knife back, but it also, um, wears more, wears better. Um, that rolled over edge has a tendency to break off and then your knife's just not sharpened at all. So if you hone your knives every time you use them, either when you take them out or when you clean them and put them back, um, everyone's got a routine to it that does it. I personally do it right before I, when I clean them up. So as I put all my knives in the sink, you know, clean them and I dry them, all sharp knives that aren't going to be stored in a drawer, you know, not steak knives or whatever should be dried every time you use them. Water's corrosive. Um, and any sort of corrosion along the leading edge will dull the knife. So you want them completely dry. Yeah. And I've noticed too, that any nicks that form in the blade that starts, those are like where corrosion spots start to form the quickest. Yeah, absolutely. Now certainly like, so there most knives that you would buy in a store. If you went to, uh, Williams Sonoma or Bed Bath and Beyond and decided to buy some nice kitchen knives. The, the probably the nicest knives they're going to have are the German like Wusthof, Hinkles, that sort of thing. And all of those are made with stainless steel. They're not going to they're not going to rust on you really. You will see some corrosion though. But the really good like ultra high-end knives are all very high carbon steel and those have to be treated with kid gloves. They really need to be oiled every time you put them away. And all that sort of stuff, but I don't. I don't have high carbon knives. I've got my more stainless steel knives, but I wash them, dry them, hone them, put them back on the knife magnet. Which I, I think a knife magnet or a knife block is the best way to store a knife because that edge is very delicate. You know, think of a think of a knife edge as a precision instrument. You wouldn't put your ultra precision anything else like just clanking around in a drawer to get dinged up. So. It's one of those things where right. if you want it to stay. All right. Um, what about like measuring cups? Obviously, I think would be something we'd want to have. Um, a scale. A scale. Way beyond yeah. measuring cups. That's a game changer. Yeah. I usually, I went from being measuring cup everything when I was tracking food to a scale, and it was such a difference. Now, even I feel if like I have both, I the perception, it's one of those scale. things you have to get used to using a scale. Like, you feel like, yeah. oh, man, like, oh, scales are only for people that are ultra-high-performance athletes or, you know, or, like, on this, like, crazy thing about losing weight or whatever. Um, but, you know, having a scale is, uh, would you say, is maybe one of the most overlooked kitchen gadgets that that people need to have? Yeah, I think so. Especially like with your meat portions, you can't cup measure that. Like you don't know what you're getting. So I think it's like really important. And in a lot of even baking from scratch, everything is in weight mm -hmm. because not all cups are created equal depending on how you pack a cup. Sure. So um, I think it's really, and you, once you get used to it, you don't think anything of it. Yeah. And, and there's so much stuff that you can just off the top of your head, rules of thumb, like a, a a teaspoon of water weighs approximately five grams. A tablespoon of water weighs approximately 15 grams. So like most of the stuff you're going to be putting like soy sauce or vinegar or oil even is going to be right around that ballpark. So if you're, instead of dirtying up a bunch of measuring cups and spoons, you just put a bowl. If you're making a marinade, for example, and you're following a recipe, put a bowl in your scale, zeroize it, and then dump in soy sauce until it's five grams. Zeroize it 
dumping your next thing until it's a certain weight. I Zero believe the, the correct term is tear. Yes, it is. <laughs> Zero yes, it is. I like it. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, zero it out. But I'm military. Um, yeah, and it's like once I figured that out that I didn't have to like pull out this big like spread of things that had this like binder ring attaching and I <laughs> unclip it and like, oh crap, where did the eighth teaspoon like, thing go? It's like now my set is incomplete. Just screw all that. Just Just use the scale. And you get way, way more precision like Mm -hmm. you said for baking and it's more repeatable um yeah well so so now on the nutrition program you have both options so like the first option of your weights is gonna be if you you know the most accurate and then that second it'll round to the nearest quarter cup so it makes it easier now if you want to whichever way you prefer but um you can use the scale and those weights are going to be like the pinpoint of the macros versus the rounding that's off to the side so there's definitely like more options now but i'm pro food scale sure what else uh what else do we need to have in the kitchen i'm trying to my favorite kitchen tool is my avocado pitter and slicer that is like my favorite thing i use it every day I'm obsessed with that thing. That's probably my favorite. What would what would you say, Aaron? What is your favorite kitchen gadget? That oh you, man, you have uh, honestly. Um, is it your shrimp divaner? It's definitely <laughs> not the shrimp divaner. <laughs> uh, I think there's probably a difference between favorite kitchen gadget um, and you know what is maybe the best or like the most used thing. Um, but to you know to to answer the question, I would say first, you know, we have a a yellow Le Creuset, I think like 12 inch pan that probably does your workhorse. Yeah. Like 75% of the cooking in our house. I mean, to the point where it never even leaves the range top. Like it's always there because that's what we use. So, you know, it sits there when it's clean, like after we clean it, which, um, you know, this is something I think most people do probably too much. And going back to like pan care, touching that again, um, you know, that thing doesn't get washed all the time. Like if we use it and there's just been oil or something in it, we just wipe it out with like a towel and then yeah. it's basically just continuing to season the pan, um, creating kind of that natural nonstick thing. It doesn't have to be like scraped with soap and water every time. Um, but we've had that pan for seven years and you know, it was, it was, uh, it was a gift, but I'm sure it was an expensive pan, like probably a few hundred dollars. However, we've had it for seven years and it's still... Your children will have that pan. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. you know, it's still amazing unless, you know, someone really neglects it or kind of beats on it by, like, chipping the the, the enamel. Um, yeah, that thing's going to last forever. As far as, man, like, you know, cool toys... Um, well, what is a gadget that we haven't said that you, w- you couldn't live without? Is there anything like a simple kitchen tool that you would feel is very integral to your... You're cooking? Uh, so one thing that I do think that most people could spend some money on, and again, this this comes back to essentially using a tool to help you if you're not an amazing cook or you don't, you don't have a lot of experience cooking, is that uh, with fish and, and most protein, I think people tend to just like cook the shit out of stuff. Um, and getting like an instant read digital meat thermometer is huge because people, I think, are so afraid of undercooking protein that they just tend to err on the, on like the other side way too often. Right. And having a, uh, 
I think we have like a thermopen is what it's called. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's what um, you were talking about the other day. Yeah, and, you know, it was like, I think we got it on sale for like 60 bucks, and, you know, we you do have to be careful on how you treat it because you don't want to like wash it in scalding water and, and end up like ruining the temperature element or whatever, yeah. the you know, whatever that thing is called. Um, however, and that's something, again, like I almost never wash it. I basically just like wipe, wipe it, it down, down with a towel, and then it's good to go. I've had a thermopin um, for six years, the same one, and it still is in... Yeah, I mean, it's great. You know, when we're cooking anything, especially something that's like in a Dutch oven, something that's like a slower Mm -hmm. cook that's not a real easy, like, hey, we're cooking this like thin protein on the on the stovetop where I can really kind of watch it. Um, Being able to use the the meat thermometer is is fantastic, and and it really what it ends up doing is just making make every meal perfect, right? Like, you don't end up fucking it up. I, it's a little bit of a family joke that if we go like every year we'll do a family trip to like the mountains or whatever and rent a cabin and kind of super nice time to just get it, hang out with family. And I'm typically the cook, you know, that's like delegated to me or at least a couple of meals. And I always bring a thermopin and, you know, cause, and it's a joke at first. It's like, Oh, Brian, look at him. He brought a meat thermometer, like on this trip. <laughs> like what kind of weirdo? I right. bring a meat thermometer and a chef's knife. Cause you never kind of like, you never know what sort of color is going to be there. Probably very dull, probably not even a pullback sharpener in there. And there's just nothing like, especially if you like you're with family and you want to have like a really special meal, you know, you're doing something. It's like, I've, bought all this produce, I brought it here, and now the prep is going to take me three times as long as I thought yeah. I was going to. But the thermopin, like, there's any grill anywhere, I can cook you a near-perfect steak because I know exactly what it's going to end up with. It's no guesswork whatsoever. Yep. Um, but just to answer your other question, because now I'm thinking about it, as far as, like, fun toys, um, I, would, I would say two. One is an ice cream machine. Um, what kind what do you have a do you have a personal favorite that you like of ice cream of machine no we again this goes back to gift stuff um i think we have like a breville ice cream machine that we got at our wedding um that we use probably twice a year but when we do it's kind of fun um and then also like a sous vide machine which is you know super rad and i guess if you're going to say that, then you got to drag along a vacuum sealer. And actually, you know what? I'm going to take the ice cream machine and the sous vide machine completely off the table <laughs> and just replace it with a vacuum mach- sealing machine. Um, and we we got a, a machine from VacMaster. So we'd gotten a, uh, I forget what it was, but also as a gift, like a one of the, the vacuum sealers that like basically like sucks all like the air out. Saver. Yeah, food saver. That's exactly what it was. Um, which was great and is super helpful, especially for meal prep. If you're prepping meals on the weekend for like lunches during the week. However, the one thing that I hated about the food saver was the fact that if you're cooking like, you know, an awesome piece of meat, it ends up sucking all the juice out of it. Yep. So we got a VacMaster like countertop vacuum sealer, which is still like this beast. It weighs like 80 pounds or something every time. What? I, dude, yeah, the motor in it is like impressively strong. Um, and I mean, it's the same, you know, we use VacMaster at the butcher shop. I mean, it's a floor standing unit, but oh, it's wow. like same brand, right? And uh, in any event, this thing, you put the whole bag inside and 
you know, the whole chamber becomes a vacuum. So, uh, so I mean, it's theori- not sucking it out, it's pushing it out. Exactly. Th- and theoretically, I- I've never tried it, but like you could vacuum seal, you know, like soup into a bag in one of these things uh, because the whole chamber is becoming pressurized. So that, I think, and with that, I've noticed, you know, when we switched to that, that when we were doing, you know, food prep, the like food was tasting better because it wasn't just like sucking all the liquid out of the food. Yeah. Um, and you're going to need one of those if you're going to do any type of like sous vide cooking, um, which is basically just like a fancy form of like crock pot or Dutch oven, you know, like cooking in a water bath. Yeah. So um, for anyone that is listening and isn't familiar, it's a fancy French term for cooking food for long, slow periods of time. It's basically like a smoker without the smoke and using water instead. Yeah, and holding at very precise temperatures. Like I know that I want my steaks to be 131 degrees internal temperature, so you can throw it in a water bath that's exactly 131 for a few hours and pulls it out and it's perfectly medium rare. And then you can take a torch or a really hot cast iron skillet and do the Maillard reaction on the outside, sear it up. Yep. Get all the brownie goodness. It's a fun toy to play with, um, but I think is a useful item. It's probably better in a restaurant where you're going to where you're planning on serving a meal, and you're like, "Hey, I want to cook this food that takes like seven hours to prep, and I want to have it ready, you know, within like this five hour window." And I don't know exactly when it's gonna, when I'm going to need to serve it. So yeah. like the sous vide machine becomes really helpful, you know, for being like, "Hey, I'm going to have this thing, and it's going to like you said, Brian, like." at the perfect temperature, no matter when I open this bag and like put it on someone's plate. Um, and I won't have to know exactly when those people are coming in or going to be ordering this dish, et cetera. Um, but anyway, I feel like we're kind of getting super off topic here, but, uh, it's kitchen gadgets for yeah, sure. I mean, I don't know. Kit, gadget, like gadgets are fun. Um, but in any event, I think, you know, all this stuff reminds me too of something that Ross talked about. And this is something that, you know, Brooke, we, we chatted about earlier is, Basically, you know, as we talk about all these things, especially with respect to protein, there's really like three cooking techniques that you boil everything down to, no pun intended with sous vide on the mind. Um, And that is basically like grilling, roasting, and braising. Talking about proteins. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, grilling could, for this example or, you know, discussion, include cooking something on a pan on the stove, you know, basically like direct, like higher heat. Direct heat from one side. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, roasting would be putting anything in the oven, like again. Or a know, smoker. Or a smoker. Um, and basically heat, you know, like lower heat generally coming from all sides. Uh, and then braising, which would be using, you know, some type of like liquid or, you know, liquid food or beans, you know, beans, tomatoes, like anything um, to throw in like a Dutch oven or a crock pot and, you know, cook slowly that way. And really at the end of the day, if you can take any type of protein and know not only like what the the optimal cooking method is, um, but, you know, what you're trying to accomplish in terms of what type of like flavors and whatnot you're trying to combine. Yeah. Really all you need to do is be able to cook with each of those techniques and you know, you can basically cook anything. Mm -hmm. Braising being the one that's most overlooked by most people, in my opinion, like most people get like, I'm going to roast a chicken or I can roast like the two simple dishes that really, well, three simple dishes that really revolutionized my cooking. The first of which was roasting vegetables. Like, 
I had never had a roasted Brussels sprout before or a roasted cauliflower, all these things that you normally get like in a microwave steamer bag or, you know, steamed. Right. Um, that have no real flavor and no real texture, but then you roast it in the oven and it's like all these things come alive and these crispy things and all that. That's number one. Number two is pan roasting, like b- taking things and putting a nice like skin on chicken thigh and uh, getting the skin all crispy and finishing it in the oven and then making a pan sauce from all the fond that's in the <laughs> bottom of it. Uh, but third uh, was braising, like using a Dutch oven like we were describing. It's super, it's, it's literally, you know, everybody raves about crock pots, which is just a braising method. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's like an electric braising machine. It's exactly. And it's so ridiculously foolproof. Just two days ago or three days ago, my, my wife is about to have uh, give birth to our third child, and one of my jobs was to start cleaning out our freezer for breast milk. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, there's all this meat in there. You need to get rid of that, cook that up. So I'd found, I had this uh, uh, corned beef that I had marinated and frozen and was going to pull out a brisket. And so I just put it in some water and turned it, put it on the stove and uh, started boiling it away, braising it, or, or put it in the oven. And uh, I knew it was going to need like three or four hours. And this was in, in the evening. Didn't set a timer. Um, add a little bit of water at one point, but then went to bed and just forgot about it. It was in the oven at 225 degrees. Woke up the next morning and like s- the smell was permeating in the house, you know? It's like, oh no, what have I done? Ran downstairs, turned off the oven, pulled this thing out, expecting just this lump of carbon. And what I had was this beautifully done corned <laughs> beef that was just absolutely. Now, the top, you know, the, the water level had lowered past where you want it. So the top was a little bit desiccated. True. Just trim that right off. And then it had this like perfect corned beef. It was like, how you, no other cooking method is that forgiving. Yeah. You know? yeah. No, I think with braising, it's like the opposite of grilling. You know, like most people grill the shit out of their food. With braising, it's like, you're so worried that you're overcooking it that oftentimes I think you end up undercooking it and taking things out. And especially most of the cuts that are going into like the braising pot or the Dutch oven, you know, are things that like need that low and slow temperature to kind of in cooking time to like really let some of those connective tissues break down, really let those, you know, kind of, I don't know, more chewy or less tender cuts of meat become really tender and you know you spend three hours cooking you know like a beef shank or something like that and you don't let it go all the way and you end up with this like hockey puck of meat like man (laughs) like oh what you know like the assumption is that you overcooked it when the reality is that you actually undercooked it oh yeah so we didn't have all that you know the 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 slow and slow let all that collagen break down all that connective tissue and everything get turned into gelatin basically making meat jello Fred, it's beauty, man. Well, all this is making me super hungry. <laughs> so I think it's maybe time to go you grab had some me lunch. Meat jello, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think. Uh, speaking of which, have we done anything with bone marrow on the nutrition program yet? No, but um, I do have. I know some you have some marrow things. Bones. Yeah, yeah, waiting some mar- so, some canoes, man. Man, bone marrow, I think, is one of the the most overlooked like fat sources. It's um, preposterously easy to prepare. Yeah. And it's so delicious. It is so good. Yeah. Yeah. My wife is still like, she will not. She's like, mm, just can't get over like the no, mental. No, yeah, just the mental bit of bone marrow. I'm like, this is, 
this is the stuff right here. Like, yeah. The braised me. beef shank um, that was in the nutrition program is like the favorite thing I've ever braised so far because all the marrow comes out mm-hmm. and it's just like, like awesome. Oh, like, oh, so oh, yeah. good. Okay, now it's lunchtime. I remember my grandfather as a kid, like, you know, we'd get like, uh, you know, ribs at a restaurant, just breaking every bone apart and like sucking the marrow out of the bones. I think it was weird as a young kid, but. He had the yeah, right idea. He knew what he was doing. <laughs> so. Anyway, uh, hopefully you guys took some good information on how to set up your kitchen from this week's episode. We'll be back with more fun, uh, fun food tips. Thanks for joining us. Take care.